You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also support this podcast. This is the podcast for November 2nd, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just behind Nate Silver's BFG, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. So what's a BFG? A BFG? Well, that's that's a gaming term from my days when I used to stay up until two in the morning playing video games with yeah. uh, with my people mm-hmm. back at the school where I uh, ran the technical side of things and had access to their networks and all their computers and we'd work very 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 hard all day long. The the gun you always went for or wanted on your side was the big fucking gun, the BFG, uh, the one that would take out everything else. That was the in- invincible. Weapon of choice. Uh, well, the, the, the invincible weapon of choice would be the sniper rifle up on the third level in the cave. Oh, okay. Or the 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 uh, rail gun where you just keep renewing your ammunition because you can stay up there forever uh-huh. and kill anything that comes at you. But other than that, the BFG is the generic term for the big gun that kills everything. Cool. And Nate Silver is in possession of something called statistics. He is, isn't he? And he's yes, also he he's also I didn't you say something about uh Wolfram on Twitter this morning talking about Nate Silver? Wasn't it I'm William, sure I did. William I completely K. Wolfram? Yes, I I entirely forgot what it was. He was about Nate Silver being this century's Oh yes. ultimate revenge. He's the nerd tough with geeks. balls, tough geek. Yeah. He's the yeah. tough geek. Yeah, he's the apex of of a certain form of evolution. This in in a way I imagine this is sort of what it was like at the dawn of the scientific method. <laughs> yeah, you know, probably. Where you had astronomers and uh, astronomers who were both observing celestial bodies and writing the numbers down year after year after year in long sheets of paper. And then, you know, a decade later or five decades later, someone else might come along and say, oh, here's how to interpret these numbers. Someone else has done the patient work of recording all this stuff. And you apply theory to it. But there is this real – this is one of those moments where um, the Beltway consensus has completely collapsed and no one knows what's going to happen next. And since they make all of their money off of essentially doing what old farts used to do and still do in some places around the barbershop – they sit around on their asses, thumbing their braces and talking about the world in simple declarative sentences. And that's what pundits do. Uh, and the fact that, that people like David Brooks has been hideously wrong almost every time about almost everything for years in no way affects his paycheck and in no way affects the degree to which people uh, consider him a sage who should be consulted and, and certainly uh but I'm going to interrupt you, Drift Glass. I want yep. you to not make simple declarative sentences about David Brooks, and I want you to talk more specifically uh-huh. about what David Brooks said this week because I thought it was exceptional. Yeah, well. His column this week was exceptional yeah. in its evil, well, <laughs> I guess uh, is the way I would put it. I, I, so yeah, let me just say that, that absent a collective consensus about what each other thinks – because mm-hmm. this is just a bunch of dogs sniffing each other's asses, mm-hmm. looking for, and this is how this is what gets you into wars like Iraq. The cons, the Beltway consensus becomes a thing, you know, as uh, Cokie Roberts famously said, it, it's in the air. 
Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's just sort of in the air. Yeah, and this is George, what people like Tom Friedman are desperately trying to formulate into a grand bargain is, yeah. well, you know, it's what mature, intelligent people are saying. So, of course, we should do it. And, the, and of course, the people who are saying it are them. Right. Exactly. So whatever, yeah. whatever Sally Quinn's cocktail party crowd decides this week should be the subject of Beltway Common Wisdom. They all they they take out these sacred and ancient bones of David Broder and cast them up on the ground and and divine from them what the American people think. But right now, nobody knows what the fuck the American people think. There are a million polls, but really, this is that this is that that point where alchemy. And please don't write me letters about the the joys of alchemy. Let's just say phrenology um, or palmistry collapses or horoscopes collapse and chemistry and physics and astronomy take over one group of people really does just look at goat entrails and imputes to them patterns that don't exist and then tells people from their position as the priesthood um as 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 uh, pharaoh says in the ten commandments basically god exists because the priests invented him mm-hmm. beltway consensus exists because the beltway pundits invent it and then they impute, and, and then they imbue it with high and holy powers that we should all listen to. But right now, they don't know what anybody thinks. So right now, they're desperately running around trying to find new and interesting ways to say we have no idea what's going on. Even though, for years, these people have cast themselves as the proxy spokespeople for the American people. Mm-hmm. You know, the American people believe blue gal. You know, the American people want. You know, the American people say. And you know what the American people want more than anything else, blue gal? They want. Both sides to stop behaving in such a partisan centrist way <laughs> because both sides are just they're just sick of it. They're just yeah, sick of it. We're just sick of not having enough bipartisanship. Yeah. At least yeah. that's what Peggy Noonan's ass told me last night. And she drinks with regular Americans, so I can trust her farts more than anyone else's farts. This is how reporting is done at the national level uh, among those people. And then along comes David Brooks, who I have written about. Probably once a week for seven years Mm -hmm. and who I have failed completely to dislodge from his high and holy position atop the Beltway Pundit class. Uh, I am joined in this effort occasionally by Charles M. P. Pierce at Esquire, who does a fine job. I'm joined by other people who, who come and beat on David Brooks for a week or two or a month or two or whatever. But David Brooks is the most evil man in America. He is the most um, dangerous pundit in America because he lies so consistently about such important things. And the eerie thing about David Brooks is nobody calls him on it. Nobody calls him on it. Bloggers Talk about sh- his, his uh, lie this week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this week, uh, last few columns, he's written about you know the, the, the benefits of being a moderate without – He's not a moderate. He's written about fake American history. This week he wrote about why he's endorsing Mitt Romney. And he wrote, um, essentially, because the Republican Congress has, has become, has been so reckless and intractable and destructive. He doesn't use those words, but that's what they are. Because the Republican Congress has held America successfully hostage since you know, for about the last two and a half years, 
using vetoes and using their their majority in the house they have they have completely gridlocked the country because that is true and because they hate Barack Obama so much and and will do anything to see him destroyed you should vote for Mitt Romney you should capitulate to it that's really the only way that's really the only solution blue gal the only way to cope with the republicans complete intransigence and destructiveness and economic terrorism is to give them what they want that well, and he, but he says he says that Romney isn't what they want. Right. But Romney will tame them will because they won't want a Republican president to fail the way they forced Barack Obama to fail. Yeah, which is why George H. W. Bush has enjoyed his second term. Right. And, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, but but this is what David Brooks is in the process of doing is completely inventing a fake Republican Party to yes. which he is a member. Yes. And then saying and, and and according to my fake Republican Party, here's what's going to happen and here's what's going to happen. And here's what's going to all these wonderful things are going to come true because the fake Republican Party that I have invented that has one member, which is me, will do all these wonderful things to tame this fringe minority who who I have been wrong about every single fucking time I've opened my mouth. So and his his theory is, well, you know, everyone's sick of the bitterness and everyone's sick of the partisanship. And Barack Obama, uh, has, you know, after this election. If Obama wins, uh, feelings will be so bitter that he simply won't have any hope of of governing as if he had a mandate. He, they simply won't go along with anything he wants to do. And Mitt Romney, who is a flip flopper, but a clever flip flopper, <laughs> will, will in fact be able to get in there and then force them to, to do reform all, to reform yes. themselves. And yeah. it's it is it is such a complete a criminally insane point of view. And so completely detached from reality that if you heard someone at a cocktail party saying it, you would have their friends drive them home because they're obviously too drunk to operate machinery. Well, it's but interesting this- you should use that analogy because that was what I was thinking earlier today is both Mitt Romney and David Brooks are like drunks where mm-hmm. your friends are embarrassed by you, but they'll hold your hair while you puke. Sure. And everybody else is just looking around like, he's not really doing that, is he? Mm-hmm. And of course he is. He's just ruining everything by being insane about but his behavior. But he's not. But he's because because he's everyone, got enough friends to hold his hair. All of his yeah. very good, very wealthy, very well connected friends who own American media keep putting him on the air. And all of the people yeah. around he has this bubble around him I know. where you are not allowed to point out the fact that this makes no fucking sense at all. Well, remind me, Driftglass, I seem to recall a David Brooks column that everyone went crazy about where he where it was even David Brooks says where it was about the debt ceiling. Do you well, remember he, that? He, he has he, written. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, he's written two in, in his in his life. This is this is how sad I am. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I actually have a, a, a compendium of knowledge, and it's useless. I mean, I, I the happy my happiest day is, is the day that David Brooks gets fired from the New York Times for just criminal incompetence. But in 2011, David Brooks um, wrote a column that said essentially. The way the Tea Party, the way the Republican Party, because remember, there is no Tea Party, is behaving. Uh, If they reject the deal they're being offered, this 10 to 1 cut, this this complete capitulation to what they want by Barack Obama, if they reject that, essentially they're morally bankrupt and they're unfit to govern. 
And that's exactly what happened. And he said they will be blamed. The American people. He used the passive voice, which I thought was really interesting. They will be blamed for this. Well, the the American people will blame them for it, and they will be right to do so. Yeah. Because David Brooks carefully avoids using the personal pronoun in everything he writes. He's yeah, an because absolute, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't want to promise that he was going to blame the Republican Party for anything well, he's, down the road. He's a, he's a coward. He's yeah, an absolute yeah. craven coward. He didn't go to Iraq even to cover it. He was perfectly happy to shovel a whole bunch of Americans into their graves and burn a trillion dollars. And once it was proven and write columns about how, you know, when we win in Iraq, those liberals are certainly going to look stupid, aren't they? You know what I'll do? I bet they're going to do. I bet they're just going to pretend none of this ever happened. I bet they're going to revise everything they wrote so it'll look like they never said what they said. Well, ha, 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 won't they look foolish? And then he was wrong. And you know what David Brooks has done for the last three years, four years, five years? Revised everything he's written and pretend he never said what he said. He's a fucking traitor and a coward. And he's a rich one, too, because apparently you can make real good money lying, telling that particular lie, because whoever the fuck runs the New York Times and whoever the fuck runs NBC pays him an enormous amount of money. I'm going to be really careful to keep over- you just on the edge of this soapbox, because we've done this so many times. I know. <laughs> but, he, but this week, he, he came out. But this week, yeah. A very, New York very Times exceptional and said, column. Yeah. And, but he said, he said, last year, the Republican Party is morally unfit to govern they're Mm -hmm. unfit they're Mm -hmm. nuts and they can't be trusted and then he does he did what david brooks always does he belly crawled his way back into their good graces when when it turned when it turned out yep he's right oh my god they are unfit to govern he found a way to slither his sleazy greasy ass back into their good graces and find a way to to endorse mitt romney because well, what are you going to do? But his way of endorsing Mitt Romney is to say we have to vote for him because otherwise the hostage takers will lose. Yes. Well, the, <laughs> well, the, the I mean, he won't say the Republican Party is the problem. Yeah. He, that that column stands out in my memory because it's the one moment where he actually said, well, and no. It's, it's, it's the moment when the entire mainstream media jumped up on their hind legs and said, even David Brooks right. says – and that then, the Republican Party is wrong on this. And then they went back to their offices, right. and right. the very, 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 very rich people who own them called them up and reminded them who who signs their fucking paychecks. And that's when they all got back on their all fours and said, we're very sorry. We will never blame the Republicans ever, ever again, and went back to both sides do it. Both sides are wrong. Both sides are bad. Both sides both sides let me down. You know, if only both sides weren't so intractably, bitterly, blah, 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 blah. And the problem is none of these people are within reach of a slap. And again, what's creepy is not holding this opinion, because if you scratch a conservative, you know, if you if you every time you debunk a conservative, this is what you find waiting right under the surface. David Brooks lurks in the heart of every wingnut, because every time a wingnut's proven wrong, out pops. Well, you know, both sides are equally wrong. Which is why that is the big lie. That's the one that props up all the other lies. That's not the creepy part. The creepy part is that everybody knows David Brooks is a liar and a fraud. He is absolutely wrong about everything. And yet when he goes on Charlie Rose, he goes on Meet the Press, he goes on NPR, he goes on. He he walks among his colleagues, people who are supposed to be journalists, and nobody dares to ask him one fucking uncomfortable question about what he just wrote two weeks ago that is what is that's what freaks me out 
he has some shit on them or he has or they have been told hands off. But nobody will call him. He's like Candyman. You know, he's like yeah. Voldemort. No one will speak his name aloud. The, the people I admire on MSNBC will generally criticize the media. And people on MSNBC uh, like like Rachel Maddow, who I like, will say, you know, God, can you believe that people still take Newt Gingrich seriously? But she will never say. And the can you problem, David Gregory will have him on the show. This, this guy sitting yeah. 10 feet of, from me keeps inviting this lying sack of shit on the air. She will never say that because the day she does is the he day fired. she loses her job. And yeah. that's, and that's There's our, another, I want to, I want to switch gears here. There's another even David Brooks moment. Yes. The other one. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> that's right. okay. We did, but, I, but, the, but it does connect directly to Sandy, to the, to the yeah. storm. Yeah. Because the other, even David Brooks says moment was yeah. when he blamed George W. Bush for handling Katrina yeah. in an awful, awful way. Yeah. And that was the one time I wrote a column praising David Brooks. Mm-hmm. I said I would if David Brooks takes out uh, his vorpal sword, he takes out the same stick he used he used to beat liberals for their lack of patriotism over the Iraq war and gets just as angry with George Bush or how badly he fucked up Katrina. I will write a con- and he did. Yeah, he did. And and his outrage over day, over George W. Bush's uh, losing an American city, putting the Arabian Horse Society guy and a bunch of hacks in charge of our emergency management system, and then lying about it and pretending everything was fine and hoping like like Republicans always do that. It'll just go away. Nobody will notice. Well, if they notice, we'll just blame it on liberals. Well, if we don't blame it on liberals, we'll blame it on both sides. None of that worked. And David Brooks got really pissed. And that lasted about two weeks. Yep. And then once again, he belly crawled back to his paymasters and, and made nice with them and snuggled right back up with him. And that's what he does. Occasionally something, something trips his gag reflex. Something becomes, is so ridiculous, so outrageous, so public, so embarrassing that even David Brooks can't lie his way out of it. So he writes one outraged column about, can you believe how awful things are? And then sure as God made little green apples, two weeks later, three weeks later, he slithers his way back into their good graces. And suddenly it's, well, you know, if the Democrats had just cooperated more, well, you know, those hippies, well, you know, Jerry Sandusky might never have raped those kids if only the 60s hadn't happened and we lost our right. morals. And right. he really and wrote he that He actually said that. Too. Yes, he actually he said that. that <laughs> And again, oh, the great mystery is not that someone who is abs- a, a coward and a liar like that exists. They exist everywhere. It's that he has such a position of, of incredible power and prominence and that nobody around him calls him on. Well, and I found it really interesting in in dealing with this horrible storm. And again, our thoughts are with anyone who is adversely affected by the storm. It's been just a horrible week. And uh, we're certainly our thoughts are with you on the East Coast. Uh, I wanted to talk about this whole notion of privatizing FEMA. Yes. And whether or not, you know, Rom- Romney still believes in that. And of course, now he's, as everyone might have predicted, Romney yep. has shaken that etch a sketch and said, oh, no, I will fund FEMA to the hilt to do everything it has to do. You know, yes. Really? Where are you going to get that money? I guess you're going to get it out of Eric Cantor's ass because. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I thought we were broke. Oh, just 
it, it just amazes me. And I know we're going to get into deficits in a minute, but George W. Bush already privatized FEMA. Yes, he did. He hired a bunch of hacks to run the government side of it. Mm-hmm. And then the vacuum created by that, he filled with Halliburton. And there were no, I made a joke about that on my blog. And by the way, this weekend is my eight year blog anniversary. Happy blog anniversary. Very glad I remembered. <laughs> Jesus eight? General forgot his 10 year blog anniversary. Yeah. Happy birth, happy blog anniversary to Jesus General this week also. It's almost as if something happened eight years ago that it's really. It's almost as if there's just a few of us hanging on by our fingernails that, well, that survived that- the indie blogosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it amazes me that we're talking about this privatization thing when no I made a joke on my blog about ha ha here comes the only thing I could think of to laugh about Katrina was watch there'll be no bid contracts for Halliburton to clean up Katrina and lo and, and it was it was less than ten days later Halliburton had no bid contracts to clean yeah. up after Katrina. Yeah. And I, w- I wrote a blog post saying, I was kidding. Mm-hmm. You know, George W. Bush is reading my blog for ideas on how to get rich, you know, mm-hmm. make his buddies rich. Well, and th- but I- that was – and I, I, um, I dug into my own archives based on a long and convoluted thing involving the cold equations, which I won't bore you with. Um, but I found a, a – a, post I wrote about Tom Friedman from 2005, speaking of incompetent nitwits who should have been fired long ago. But it it serves as an important reminder, I think, to go back to those times to remember this is what Mitt Romney is offering to take us back to. Mm -hmm. This is his vision of success. and, And it works perfectly as long as nothing ever breaks down. As long as you never go to war, and have you to rely have on hurricane. You never have a or hurricane, a storm, or an earthquake. As long as nothing ever goes wrong, and nothing yeah. ever breaks, and no economy ever collapses, and you, again, you never go to war, and you never need competent people to do anything. As long as you control the media to the point where you can just lie and lie and lie and lie and lie, which is pretty much how the Iraq War was from the day we invaded until it started to unravel really badly, and they couldn't cover up the fact that they had fucked this thing up to the point where they were never going to get it back. Um, but it was uh, right up until that point, the the mainstream media went right along with the Bush administration lies. The the right wing blogosphere was mocking liberals for making up sources, uh, even though the sources that were being quoted were in Iraq. It was it was this completely surreal universe where they were keeping reality at bay by virtue of money and lying, and everyone was going along with it. And the same way George W. Bush ran. Katrina into the ground. He ran the Iraq war. You remember that they were handing out control over substantial portions of the Iraq economy over the banking system, over the transportation system to children who were the children of donors or people loyalists, party loyalists who were asked not whether you know anything about banking, but whether where do you stand on Roe versus Wade? They were handing these things out like candy to their supporters, knowing that however badly these children fucked it up, the private contractors who they would then hire and make an enormous profit off of would clean up the mess or cover it up or shoot whoever needed to be shot. That is Mitt Romney's vision for America. For how government should operate. Yeah. 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 Put your friends in charge. Put them on payroll. 
let them make as much fucking money as they want from the a, from the taxpayer. Yeah, a nice ten to three banking job. Yeah, and, and all, the, all the dirty, while whining about government spending when a Democrats do it. Absolutely. Because yeah. I don't know you, Blue Gal. I've been through privatization and downsizing many times before. Yes, you have. And I have seen perfectly competent IT departments um, ripped apart, outsourced to companies that cherry picked only what they wanted to do. And then said, of everything else, we don't want to do that. That's not us. That's not us. But since their friends were letting the contracts, that was okay. That company then re-let the contract to third-party vendors, which had hired, in some cases, the same people who used to work in the old IT department. The difference? No overtime. No benefits. A third of the salary. So we're just going to turn you into slaves. We're just going to turn you into into um, um, wage slaves. And the same people I, I had worked with who were all competent said, yeah, I work 18 hours, you know, I work 18 hours a day now. I get no sleep. I get paid minimum wage. I have no benefits and everything goes back to the private company it was outsourced to. So the people at the top made very good profits from stripping the value out of this organization. But the the people who were actually competent and in charge of doing this, and it didn't matter because they knew. Look, we'll burn out one cadre of people. We'll put in another. We'll we'll we'll, we'll rip we'll, we'll rip off their pensions. Fuck them. We'll get more. People are so fucking expendable. These these guys. They, that's right. And there's a there's a very sad article in the New York Times this week about part time workers and how there are these computer systems now that schedule work based on when customers are going to come in or not. So a smoothie place will look and program in based on the weather, hiring more people on hot days to come in. Mm -hmm. And this scheduling issue is huge because people are called the day before. They're basically on call like salary doctors, but they're minimum wage workers. And with no benefits. And so they have to be available to work the next morning and be called 12 hours ahead of time to come in for a shift, I'm which so means sorry. you can't have a second job. You can't no. have you can't depend on a schedule for your daycare. You can't depend yeah, you on the bus schedule to get you to work. You have to just be mm-hmm. there. And if you turn down hours under the, this situation, you are then scheduled for less hours the next week. So you're punished for saying, no, I can't work that day. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a very sad article, and it's a real opportunity for unions to come in and say, look, this is a problem, and the scheduling thing needs to stop. But their comment thread at the New York Times, there was one commenter that said, yes, I'm in this situation. It's horrible. I can't go back to school. I can't get any education. I can't organize my life at all because tomorrow morning I might have to work. Right. They've got they, and they are not paying me to sit around waiting to find out if I have to work tomorrow. I'm just required to be on call. And then they said, so he's exactly in this situation says, "I don't believe in unions, but we need yeah. to organize ourselves somehow so that they can't do this to us anymore." You didn't but if there's only something that Acted like a union yeah, with all the benefits only, of the if union. If we only had some way of figuring mm-hmm. out how we could be, you know, <coughs> unite against this thing. Hmm. Yeah. How well, could we do that? And if you if you pop the hood on most surveys about because you'll always get the center right people. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, every survey shows it's a conservative country. Every survey shows it's a center-right country. Every survey, you know, shows that only 32 or 27 percent identify themselves as liberals. Mm-hmm. Sure, because you've spent a trillion dollars and. 30 years turning liberal into a dirty word and congratulations you've succeeded but then you open up and say what do you think about social security oh no social security's good what do you think about like having a weekend oh yeah that's good minimum wage oh yeah i'm for that you want to destroy the environment and protect oh no no i love the environment love my clean air don't want my kids drinking poison water you go right down the list issue after issue people side with liberals on every issue you can name they just don't want to be and called. They want people. our economy to look like a Scandinavian country. Yeah. That's what they, they really want. want. Be, yes. But liberal's a dirty word, so you don't want to be called a liberal because yeah. that's a yeah. that's a bad thing. And this is you know this is the essential evil genius of the Lee Atwaters and Karl Rove's and uh, Frank Luntz's. They they really are evil people. I mean, really, honest to God, down to the bone, rotten. No, they're lying. No, they are crafting they, lies. No, they work for the devil. They like wallowing in shit. They are absolute scum, and they understand human nature the same way a Madison Avenue ad writer does. They know exactly what words to say to make you buy this thing. What they're making you buy is a gun that they will then instruct you to put in your mouth and pull the trigger, yeah. and you'll do it. And you'll wonder what that pain is on the back of your head, and they'll tell you, "Oh, that's just liberals." That's the liberals' fault. You know, this is this um, Chris Hayes this morning. I watched Chris Hayes this morning, and the only thing I really do get out of watching MSNBC for an extended period of time during any given day is I have a sudden urge to buy catheters for some reason. <laughs> I was going to say why. we also want to remind everyone we are recording this to this week on Thursday. So on Thursday, you're yes. watching Chris Hayes on Thursday morning. Yes, I, I saw him for a hot minute, and he was talking about global climate change, which I absolutely am on board with. And, and he was saying he's very passionate about. Yes, he won't invite people on his show who, who are climate change deniers. So good on him. That's a principled stand, and good for you. Um, but his adorable belief that surely now that global climate change is is I agree with all of his solutions, which are you have to have a, a, a complete change in the way you do civil engineering. To account for the fact that this is coming, this is here, it's here now. You have to have a, a radical reduction in carbon emissions. You have to do a throw everything you can at, at alternate clean renewable energy. I'm down with all that, no problem there. But his logic about why people will eventually be persuaded is, well, now that it's clear that this is true, surely we can no longer deny reality. Reality is here. It, it's you know, our noses are being rubbed in it. So the day of the essentially the days of the denier is over. And I did tweet him and I I realized that's just shooting, you know, an arrow into the sky. He never replies. Why don't you reply, Chris? What's what's wrong? (laughs) I'm waiting by the phone. But it's, you know, I asked him in, in all sincerity, have you noticed that every time we on the left say, surely now they can no longer deny reality, they go right on denying reality. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter to them. Well, and you look at the right-wing blogs and and even certain right-wing newspapers. I was looking at a Virginia newspaper this morning, and and there was nothing about Sandy in the Virginia newspaper. In this Virginia newspaper, I mean, they're in Virginia. It got hit by Sandy. Yep. There was nothing on the website about Uh, Sandy. and, And before we went. 
you know, on air today, I, I skipped through uh, uh, some right wing, some re- fairly prominent right wing blogs, you know, a couple of the Breitbart slug farms and it's Hurricane Benghazi. 24 Benghazi. <laughs> It's the racism of Democrats is can you believe Andrew Sullivan thinks that it's the new Confederacy and some trivial bullshit. It's just all this self-reinforcing, paranoid, sewer-dwelling crap that these people both excrete and ingest constantly. There was no mention that anything like a hurricane hit the East Coast of the United States at all. It just doesn't affect them. And so this fantasy that at some point, no. Chris, no. No, they won't. What will happen is they'll deny, 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 deny until it's too late. They'll say, well, it's too late now. And by the way, hurricanes are caused by gay marriage. Don't you know that? And by the way, something, something, something liberals caused it. Just like Barack Obama caused the deficits. These people are, I'm sorry to our our, our uh, uh, listener who wrote a very nice letter that I think we're going to get to in a little bit, but um, these people are infinitely reprogrammable chris they can be they believe anything this is go back and read 1984 they believe whatever they're told to believe there is no hurricane there is no hurricane it never happened or if it did happen it was a liberal's fault or if it wasn't a liberal's fault then it was god punishing us for something liberals did or it was the aclu this is the immediate reaction something that was sort of missed in a lot of coverage of sandy this week is there was a 3.9 on the Richter scale earthquake, earthquake in Arkansas this week. Yeah. Yes. My and bo- I was looking at a bo- website that covered that and it really was Jesus is coming. That is why we have the hurricane and the earthquake and everybody better get ready because the second coming is, is here mm-hmm. and prepare yourself and, and very, and I, I, I mean to say this, these people were very sincere yeah. writing that. Mm-hmm. And I interjected and said, you know, I'm I'm a religious. Oh, and, and the other side was there saying, oh, you you religious wackos, you're just so full of shit and blah, blah, blah. We, you know, we don't believe that any of, of your crap. And I said, look, I'm a religious type and I have a, a very strong feeling that this has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with fracking. Yeah. And, you know, natural gas fracking is forcing at high speed with high speed jets all kinds of chemicals into the Earth's crust, which they are finding right. is causing earthquakes in places that never had earthquakes before. And, and yet, it's designed to shatter rock well below the Earth's surface. Well below the Earth's surface and force funny. natural gas to the surface, which is kind of disruptive. Yeah. And the the collusion between the religious right and the oil companies is the great untold story yeah of our of our his, of our current history mm-hmm. that oh no it's Jesus coming get ready so that the fracking can be covered up yes. and the impact of fracking can be covered up and and no responsibility for the earth on the part of Christians is just horrible well, have to. We're, we're here to you and this is this, this is, is one of those places. Yeah. This is one of those places where Randites and and fundamentalists can stroll happily hand in hand. Yeah. It's Burn it God up. gave it's us the earth to use. Us, you know? yes. And it's the Randite Shimkus. says it's it's John Shimkus coming before the Congressional you know, uh, Global Warming Committee and saying, Well, God promised us in the Bible that he would yeah. not destroy the earth because of the rainbow and Noah 
And so we can just depend on that. And by the way, I have a staff of white male Christian ministers here to give testimony mm-hmm. at my committee hearing meeting yes. about how we can depend on that rainbow to protect us from and and of course, you know, never mind he's getting more contributions from the coal industry than any other congressman. Yeah. In all, of all of the 300 and whatever congressmen there are, he is number 1 for coal. And uh but he comes on and reads the Bible to us. It's it's horrifying. Well, and I, one, of the, one, of the, one of the other things that, that, to his credit, Chris Hayes was saying today, was mm-hmm. 30 years from now, people will look back at this period of denial and be horrified. Yep. How could you have let this happen? How could you have let this happen? And my response is, we're not letting this happen. There's a group of people in this country who are steadfast in their denial, either for religious reasons or for because they're bought off by oil companies or because yeah. they just hate they hate life on earth. They're nihilists or they yep. hate liberals. And this is a liberal cause, so it must be wrong. They must oppose it because it's it's something that will make liberals cry. And well, and I also think that there's just a lack of leadership on this issue. I mean, neither Obama nor Romney mentioned climate change in any oh, of the debates. Absolutely true. And I, I believe in my heart that this part of the issue is, you know, Al Gore came out with this movie, which was terrifying. Oh, one one other David Brooks column. Remember how <laughs> David David Brooks wrote a column blaming the collapse of the consensus around global warming on Al Gore. Al Gore, yeah, because he, he wrote politicized this, it. He politicized, yes, he politicized it, and that's it. why. No, it wasn't. That the, was within the past two months. He did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and well, and but but Al Gore's movie regardless of whether politicize the issue or not, which I think is kind of beside the point, David Brooks, was terrifying. And terror is paralyzing. Yes. And I, I really think that the leadership on this issue needs to get back to things that people feel they can manage in their minds. This global climate change, even with a hurricane right this week, is something that most people feel is beyond their ability to solve. Yes. They can't, you know, the only thing that actually changes people's behavior in terms of driving with gas guzzling cars is the price of gas. Yes. And here we go. Mitt Romney blaming Barack Obama in the debate for the price of gas was just horrifying to Chris Hayes, horrifying to me. You know, somehow what we really need to do is find the president who can find the lowest gas price. That's what we need to do. But it's too big a problem for most average humans to have to cope with. And so the leadership on this issue, I think, needs to get back to things that people can understand and can feel like they can make a change in their own lives and their own voting patterns and so on to to make a difference. Saying, look, I know this is a big issue, but let's focus on clean air, clean water and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Those are things we can do. I mean, (laughs) this is like my doctor telling me to lose weight. Here are three things you can do that will work. And it gelled for me. You know, yeah. yeah, I can do that. I can watch my portion sizes. I can do that. You know, it wasn't well, lose weight, which is just this huge thing that that to me just was a bridge too far. You know, but if you tell me to watch my portion, oh, I can do that. Cut out salt. Oh, I can do that. Those you well, know, make here's, it easier. Here's the problem with that. OK, it it requires I'm going to use the C word now. Okay. So get ready for it. Collective action. Yeah. Yeah, and the marketplace. Yes, the marketplace yes. will not solve this problem. Yep. It requires yep. a big government yep. 
solution where everyone is either voluntarily or coerced into Rude, doing things they don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And collective action is anathema to one of our two major political it parties. Yep. It is it is communism, pure and simple. And the and the whole global climate change hoax has been perpetrated by liberals to force us into a collective blah 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 so that welfare something something Negroes from Kenya. And actually that that's another thing to bring up with Chris Hayes is Remember cap and trade being a Republican idea, Chris Hayes? Yeah. Remember that? No, never, no, it never was. Yeah. Never happened. No, now it's cap and, and tax. And now it's this. Uh, cap and trade was something that John McCain thought was an awesome idea. It was yes. a market-based solution. But remember, Blue Gal, <laughs> four years ago, <laughs> slightly more than four years ago, Barack Obama showed up at some rallies going, you know what you can do? You can inflate your tires. What did the right do? Ha ha, fuck you. you. Can you believe this dick telling me to inflate my tires? Oh, my God. What a loser. Oh, my God. And John McCain went right along with the uh, – because John McCain knows who votes for him. Yeah. Mitt Romney – Mitt Romney's a very smart guy. He perfectly understands the soul of the Republican Party. Soul of the Republican Party is rotten through and through. And the only way you get to be in power is by getting – a majority of the people to vote for you mm-hmm. or the majority of the electoral college to vote for you. And the only way to get into power, if you are a Republican, is by appeasing the scum of this country. Yep. And that's just the way it is. People who are and very it, afraid and very hateful. And yes. and I do I did want to bring that up and, and maybe we'll end here um, for now anyway. Sure. Uh, Election postmortems, because they're already coming in. I find it hilarious that we're talking Ah. about 2016 and what Romney should have done. And I'm still terrified to my bones that Romney's going to steal this election. Well, I'm I'm still 43 percent sure he's just going to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because I don't think he needs to steal. I I think there'll be voter suppression. I think it'll be all those things. But frankly, there are poll after poll after poll statistically averaged out by the awesome Nate Silver show that it's 47, 47, mm-hmm. 48, 48. And that is 48% of this country of the half of the people who, who are aware there's election at all, who can be bothered to pay attention mm-hmm. to this at all. Almost half of them are perfectly willing to go back to the Bush administration yeah. and have lied to themselves every which way you can to pretend that that's not what they're doing. And that they're an independent. (laughs) And and there's an entire apparatus who promises them redemption and absolution, either through this time the magic will work. If we just clap even harder, it'll work this time. Or what they know, what what they know at some basic cellular level is no matter how badly they fuck up, no matter how badly they fuck up. I mean, these people impeached Clinton, right? And they went through eight years of Bush, right? And they, they fucked up the economy. They, they screwed up. They pissed away a surplus. They did all these things. And they have this entire media apparatus at their disposal that will airbrush all of that away. Just make it all go away. No matter how badly they fuck up, they have someone who's willing to write them a blank check, give them an alibi, and let them off the hook. So there's no downside to voting for Romney. Because even if Romney fucks up the economy, four years from now... They'll just come back and say it was a secret liberal plot to do something, 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 or we'll invade Iran yep. and get our minds off it that way. And almost half of the country is 
is bound into, is enslaved, is mesmerized, is caught up in, or has sold their soul to this ideology. And the last time this happened was the 1860s. And it took the Union Army and a whole lot of bloody battles for four years to force them to stop fucking this country up. And it really really is totally – you talked about that that female commentator who – who was she on with? Who, she just kept saying, but it worked, but it worked. Yeah. Who who was that? Who who, who was she talking to, first of all? You, you got you to gotta give me more information than that. She, um, that, he had, that Romney had completely changed his position on Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was on, um, I think it was on one of the Sunday shows. Yeah. And it was Rebecca something or. And she, she just said, but it worked. It was, it was Andrew Sullivan, to his Andrew credit, Sullivan, Andrew Sullivan, who still who still thinks spluttering incredulously about how badly Mitt Romney is lying is an effective strategy. But the woman who sat next to him, whose name eludes oh, me at the moment, I'm sorry, she's yeah. blonde, she was a Bush spokesman, she's written some novels, she's been on the Rachel Maddow show three or four times. But Andrew Sullivan said, you know, but he's lying. He He, he came out. And completely jettisoned everything he had said for the last two years and just ripped the mask off and said, now I'm this guy. I'm a brand new candidate. I, I'm a moderate. I'm not any of those things that got me to where I am now. I disavow them all. They never happened. And she said, yeah, but we like that. We like him now. Yeah. I mean, the giddiness with which she embraced the soulless, lying bullshit that her party has become. Because that means she has a job now. Yeah. He might win, and then we're back in power. It was Nicole Wallace, GOP Nicole Wallace. strategist That's... Nicole Wallace, and yeah, she was thrilled and by she it. She just couldn't get. It. She said, "But it worked, and we don't care because it'll be better than Barack Obama." Right, and he and and, and Andrew Sullivan, again to his credit, I take him to the woodshed a lot. Said, "But you don't know what Mitt Romney's going to be. You have no Doesn't idea matter. what he thinks about Doesn't anything. Matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You got to win. Whatever it, is, yeah. whatever it is, it's better than Barack Obama." Mm-hmm. And again, she's a paid whore. That's what she does. But the delight with which she clapped her hands and said, yes. There are yes. plenty of men out there that are paid yes. whores for oh, yeah. Romney, too. Let's not make but, it this a gender thing. No, 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 no. This, this is, she is a, she is a paid hooker, as is George Will, yeah. as is David Brooks. But it wasn't the words. It was her giddy delight that yep. lying had worked. Yeah, but it worked. Yeah, but it worked, didn't it? Here, here's the quote I'm reading it. off of Video Cafe. The Mitt Romney yeah. that showed up on October 3rd was like an alien that ripped off his mask and said, I'm brand new now. That was Sullivan. Yeah. But we liked him, Wallace huh? exclaimed. Isn't that the point? But we liked him better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and he said, yeah, but one day it's true and the last day it's not. Right. And you can't be that wrong and coreless to the point of, you're, you don't trust anything about him, but you're still going to vote for him. Like, yes, you can. Oh, no. Barack Obama is going to be worse than that. Whatever and, it and is, it's is, better than Obama. And this is the confluence of, and I hate to say this, this is the confluence of, of the Andrew Sullivan's of the world who has come, who, who is a liberal at this point. He's embraced every position he has once disavowed, but he still won't acknowledge that we were right all along because then, again, he wouldn't have a job. And uh, Chris Hayes. They, they are they are correct in their diagnosis of can you fucking believe this is working, but they keep pretending that if I could just get in there with a few more magic words, if I could just appeal to reason for five more minutes, eventually 
No, dude, they sold their souls. You're never reaching them. They're, they're gone and they're never coming back. What they're going to do is they're going to work really hard to elect Mitt Romney. And if they succeed, they're going to clap all the way to Iran. And if he runs this economy into the ground, if he runs the deficit up 10 times what it is now, giving his friends tax cuts, they'll clap every inch of the way. And you will remind them all along the way, but you didn't want this, but you hated deficits. And they're going to clap their hands and go, yeah, but it worked. We won. Fuck you. I just want to point out, because it might not be pointed out anywhere else, that there were ethics charges filed against Romney today about the Delphi uh, auto plant that $12 billion in bailout funds went to Bain and $115 million is sitting in Ann Romney's trust fund. And this is this is the big reason that Romney can't release his tax returns is because it's there because he got rich off the auto bailout. rich off the auto bailout. Yep. And yep. and prop, he did profiteering off, off of auto bailout money, government taxpayer money, and oh. he's just hoping to change the subject until next week. So, yeah, if I may quote Nicole Wallace, but we like but that. It, but it works. <laughs> it works. But it works. It works. <laughs> we'll just we'll so, Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. When 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 if you are a liberal, when you come up to this, but if only I could come up with a few more magic adjectives. Facts, yeah. You're wrong. That's never going to work. Get over that and then enter a new place where you start thinking about, okay, these are intractably awful people who are bent on destroying your country and nothing you say is going to reason them out of it. And this is why I want our listeners – we're always working to give our listeners vocabulary. I want to remind our listeners that hopefully Barack Obama is just going to win this election. Yep. If that happens – the election postmortems are going to come very fast that Mitt Romney simply wasn't conservative enough to be president, to win the presidency, and that this oh. is a center-right company, country, and the liberal media cost us this election along with an yeah. uh, uh, ill-timed storm, cost him this election. And we need to reverse that really just as quickly. With and if you are looking for a reason to vote for Barack Obama, go read Charles P. Pierce yeah. at Esquire, Why I'm Voting for Barack Obama. It's very good. He, yeah. he, he essentially said he's – and it was, a third, it was an argument against third parties at the presidential level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I agree with Dr. Jill Stein. She has many great points, blah, blah, he blah, blah. He knows her personally too. Person. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I absolutely support her. She's a wonderful person, but she's insane because mm-hmm. she has this green agenda – this green new deal that she will magically pass through Congress somehow. Really? The same Congress that said no to their own bills as yeah. long as it would hurt the liberal president? He said, look, we have two major parties. One is weak and mealy-mouthed and way, way too tied in with, with banks. And they have really skeevy records on drones. And they have a very, very bad – they have blood on their hands. And then we have this other political party that's demented. Yep. And those are the choices. I wish they weren't, but I live in the imperfect real world where those are the two choices. And if you want to sit on the sidelines and say, well, you know, both sides are equally wrong, you're free to do that, but you're wrong because there's always a difference between two horses. They might both be nags. You might hate them both, but one and the other, there's a difference between the two. And if you have a vagina in any way or have anyone in your life who you love who has a vagina – I would really like to keep the vagina police away from women's private bits. <laughs> and if you put Mitt Romney in the White House, sure as God made little green apples, 
there, there will be a Supreme Court within the next four years who will overturn Roe versus Wade. Whether Romney case, wants I, it or not is not even yeah. part of the picture. So that's the deal. Yeah. That's, you know, that's he will nobody said this would be easy. That. Yep. And nobody said it would t- it'd be happen overnight. Nobody said you wouldn't be horribly disappointed and hate everything about politics and feel like crying like that poor little girl by the end of it. Because I know I sure do. I'm fucking sick of this. You know, I'm I'm pissed at Barack Obama for more reasons than you can count. One of which is, dude, how could you not see the Republican Party coming down Michigan Avenue a mile away? Yeah. They were gunning for you. And you walked right into their bear trap with your bipartisan-y, postpartisan-y, centrist, let's all get along stuff. And that's great. And they ate you alive for two and a half years. They fed you your own head for two and a half years. I pray that he's learned the lesson. I have no knowledge that he has or not. He talks a lot like a person who has uh, seen the light. But as far as I know, he might, after he gets sworn in, go right back to talking about grand bargains and how I can work with the Republican Party. I don't know. What I do know for a fact is the Republican Party is a medieval bunch of goons and thugs and theocrats and racists. And and, And keeping them out of power is worth me holding my nose and voting for this administration for a second time. Yep. And go do that. Please go do that. Yes. Please go do that. So you have a letter? <laughs> I do. We have a letter. Uh, kids are going to come home any moment now. So Lock the door. <laughs> Trick or treat's over. Go away. We, we actually have received several letters. Some of them we're going to read on our Thanksgiving show, and they have been along these lines. But this this one from Bob is one that we decided to read this week. And and it reminds me so much of you, Drift Glass, that uh, <laughs> I almost think so you we'll wrote put, it. We'll put quotes around Bob. It, it's from Bob. I'm a 50-year-old white male with four kids ages 27 to 15. I've worked in information technology for small, medium, and large companies for over 25 years. Finding the ProLeft podcast and your associated blogs has been a sanity-saving discovery. This whole centrist business about both sides do it just about makes my head explode. I know it is a huge waste of time, but I can't always stop myself from joining or starting Facebook threads that involve. We're going to start a club, Bob. What? We're going to start a self-help group, Bob, you and me. (laughs) I know it is a huge waste of time, but I can't always stop myself from joining or starting Facebook threads that involve lefties and righties. There's a naive part of me that thinks if I correct some GOP bullshit and provide a link to a neutral fact-checking source, that they will acknowledge the lies, but they never do. I do the same thing showing the statements from the batshit crazy GOP representatives on voter suppression, legitimate rape, personhood, creationism, and I will never get a denouncement of any of it. My logical, critical thinking brain does not know how to process this complete rejection of empirical, factual data. So I try to create even more compelling arguments backed by the most unimpeachable sources. Guess what? The needle doesn't move. It's worthwhile to point out that prior to Obama, I voted for only GOP presidents, including George W. Bush III twice. What the fuck, he says. (laughs) Owing largely to the promise of Obama in 2008 and finally understanding the magnitude of the Bush-Cheney duplicity, I went through some kind of political awakening. And good for you, Bob. We don't see this very often, but hey, you know, it's good to see it. 
As my wife observes my consternation over the state of U.S. politics and the hours I spend trying to educate and persuade the GOPers, she thinks I'm wasting my time and getting all worked up for nothing. Many times I agree with her. So I'm looking for some sage advice here. Are my efforts to convince the fact-resistant non-believers a giant waste of time? If so, is there some other way I can further the progressive cause that would be more productive? I love you both and was happy to send a small donation under my wife's name. More to come. Warmest regards, Bob. And Bob lives in Connecticut, and we hope he's doing well given the storm. Uh, we're thinking of all of you, Bob, everyone on the East Coast. Jeff Glass, do you have any sage advice for Bob? Uh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> No. Uh, well, no. We, we do want we do want to give some. I mean, there are lots of ways that you can help the progressive cause. Yes. Besides hanging out on Facebook, there there are um, there no, are. I don't I don't want to diss anyone who's doing progressive action on Facebook. No. Because no, no motivating no, fellow progressives on Facebook is a great thing to do. Yeah. I'm talking about get, engaging in arguments with people on Facebook about yeah. trying to convince people with facts who still believe there are WMDs in Iraq, and that perhaps Saddam Hussein secretly sent them to uh-huh. Syria. <laughs> yeah. And uh, by the way, that also applies to Twitter, because yeah. my outrage cannot be confined to 140 characters. <laughs> I need at least 40 pages to convince you that two and two is four. <laughs> uh, but uh, there are lots of things to do, and, and some of which we've talked about before, all of which we probably talked about here and there before, there are practical things to do. There are ground-level pothole issues. Work with people in your neighborhood on stuff you can all agree on. Uh, if your library is falling apart, go make sure you have a good library in your town. Uh, make sure people in your in your area know that you're a liberal. When you do something good or right or proper, uh, or you're an active member of, of of a group, don't be afraid to say. If it comes up, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm a liberal. I'm, I'm, uh, you can say it in a joking way so that they don't yeah. think you're attacking them. I'm a dirty liberal. Let me tell yeah. you, I'm the most liberal guy in this room. I, yeah. I do that and under, under circumstances that, uh, granted, I come from a blue, blue city and I moved to a purple central Illinois area, but I'm not particularly cowed by saying, oh, by the way, I'm one of those dirty traitorous liberals you hear so much about. Ha ha ha. And proceed from there. And it's, you know, it's a matter of look, and, and we both agree that the sidewalk is broken and needs to be fixed. That's a much less abstract concept than deficits. Yeah. And something that everybody can get behind and understand. Being, you know, being a, being a good neighbor, talking to people at, at your social situation, talking to people where you, you live, being a good example. I mean, just, this is one of those living your faith kind of things. Even if you're an atheist, you have a, a secular, belief system that you just put into practice. Don't be ashamed to say, look, I'm, I'm this guy or this woman and this is what I believe. That's a practical thing to do. On a metaphysical level, um, I'm reminded of, and I strongly believe in this, I'm, I'm reminded of what Octavia Butler, one of my very favorite writers who, who died much too young, who was a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, I believe, which allowed her to buy a house and take care of her mom and do all kinds of wonderful things. Wonderful writer. Heard her read in public Beautiful, rich, um, baritone, lovely voice. Just, just an impeccable writer. But when she wrote um, her novel, her post-apocalyptic novel of America, um, boy, the parable of the sower. One of the things she did to develop the religion that she embedded in her novel, 
science fiction writers do that all the time. We, we invent, I say we, cause I have written a little bit of science fiction, invent theologies, invent ideologies, invent alien races and civilizations, but they sort of have to stand up to scrutiny. You got, you got to be able to hit them kind of hard with your shoulder and they don't fall over. And one of the things she did as a mental exercise, because this is a story of essentially theocrats taking over the United States and it's a ugly place to live and, and, and be. And people, millions of Americans on the road, literally walking around, you know, trying to, uh, trying to find some place to stop and raise a farm and raise a family and incredibly dangerous, the collapse of civilization at the hands of, um, thuggish theocrats. And I'm somebody who likes, uh, this kind of fiction, this kind of yeah. dystopian stuff. I live, yeah. I read a lot of, Margaret Atwood, mm-hmm. and as you ha- warned me when you yeah. handed me this book, I've had a lot of people try to start reading this book and not be able to get into it because it's so dark, and I was one of those people. I yeah. had a really hard time with it because it, it is so depressing. It's, it's um, about it's about slavery and re-enslaving women especially. It's about yeah. rape. It's about the, the casual relationship that people have when they're living under uh, war, wartime to life. And it's, and, a, and it's about the environment. Like a lot of yeah. Margaret Atwood books, there, there's this scene near the beginning of the book where they are using water to baptize a child, mm-hmm. and everyone is aware that they're using clean water in this little tiny vial uh-huh. to baptize this baby, and what a waste that is because there is no water. And... And yet they're making that sacrifice. And it's not just a baptism. It's also a sacrificial thing that they are wasting actual clean water to baptize this child. And it's just devastating to read. And And she's a good writer. Well, embedded in – I I adore Octavia Butler's um, writing. And embedded in this apocalyptic landscape are – Walmart's is capitalism. Yeah. You know, whole plantations run by landowners because there's no law anymore against owning human beings. Uh, there's a drug that makes people empathic and prone to being controlled as slaves, and that's a good thing. There are essentially Walmarts with um, barbed wire fences. I'm, I'm metaphorically speaking, where you, if you have enough money, you can go in and buy ammunition and buy guns, buy whatever you want. So. There's this it's become a two tiered society with plutocrats living very well and everyone else being essentially um, homeless and um, hmm. unemployed or <laughs> or or slaves. Yeah. And Octavia Butler developed this religion, this sort of environmental faith. And her methodology was put down on paper. I'm, I'm doing this very roughly. Put on put down on paper what you believe, then come up with the most convincing argument you can against what you just said. And just keep pounding your own belief structure with his, with bigger and bigger hammers until you can't break it. And then you've arrived at a place that you can say, this is what I believe in. So there is virtue in taking on conservative positions. Uh, this is why Blue Gal and I pray for better conservatives. Yes. Because we know that our ideas can be a little bit raggedy sometimes, but there's no one to push against. The, yeah. the opposition is so completely dumbed down and robotized there's no one to have any good arguments with anymore and so it is inherent in democracy that you have presumably people of goodwill pushing against each other so one of the one of the one of the things you can use 
conservative arguments to do as much as they infuriate you is push, use them to push on your own ideas. Come up with those eloquent statements. I don't, I don't stop developing the perfect argument to take down David Brooks if I ever see him in a men's room. That'll never happen, but it sharpens my mind and it sharpens my vocabulary and it, and it keeps my thinking topical and precise. And doesn't let it wander all over the place. So there's a metaphysical advantage to s- sort of coming up with the perfect rebuttal to what crazy people say, even if you never get a chance to put it into action, because it, it, it forces your mind to do exercises that are probably good for you. So that's my two cents. Well, and, and I think in practical terms, watching local issues, watching in the house district that you belong to in Connecticut, I believe is a blue state. And and we've done more than that. I mean, we've become the media and worked on blogs and done what we can in that regard. But that's not for everybody. That that's only for obsessive compulsive no. types who have no no filter <laughs> no filter on their calendar that tells them not to do that. We loved your letter, Bob. Thank you so much. Yeah. Every week we post a picture of an internet kitty sent in by you the listeners. This week's internet kitty is Paloma. Paloma, believe it or not, was born in Qatar and now lives in Richmond, Virginia. And I did send an email to Paloma's uh, owner. I hope they are okay and uh, that they have power and all that good stuff. So we're thinking of you guys, and we are happy to have Paloma as this week's Internet Kitty. She's a lovely kitty. You can send your Internet Kitty pictures to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. And be aware, we're going to have our letter show, where we will be doing nothing but reading letters from you over the Thanksgiving weekend. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or letter on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties want every professional left podcast listener to get off their ass and vote. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying and the shooting and the dying and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2012. Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast.